We should understand that technology gives us the potential to solve problems, but it has to be technology mobilized for the good. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of War podcast. You just heard renowned economist Jeffrey Sachs, director of the Center for Sustainable Development at Columbia University and president of the Sustainable Development Solutions Network, allude to the crucial role advanced technologies can play in crisis resolution, social innovation, and human well-being. Here, Esri CMO Mariana Cantor lead this conversation on economics, technology, and morality in a time of global duress. Hello, Dr. Saxon. Thank you so much for being here with us. Great to be with you. The New York Times called you probably the most important economist in the world. Your work is wide ranging, your knowledge is really staggering, and your influence continues to rise. So I would like to start by asking you, why do you think it's important to view economic issues through a holistic humanitarian and environmental lens? Uh, that was nice of the New York Times to say at that moment, which was during the major transformations of Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union from the uh, collapsed and failed uh, communist system. So that was a pretty dramatic time. But I must say, having uh, lived and worked through that, uh, times remain dramatic. And uh, every year, every few years, we're seeing uh, transformations in our lives uh, that are shocking, uh, that are of a scale and pace uh, that we would not have foreseen. And certainly, as we talked during COVID-19, we've never seen anything like this during our lifetimes. I don't think we can grapple with these issues uh, in narrow, siloed ways, whether as public health issues or social issues or political issues or geopolitical issues or economic issues, uh, the more I'm engaged in this kind of work and problem solving, the more interconnected everything is uh, because uh, our economy is not a standalone dollars and cents part of our lives. It is the way we survive and, and feed ourselves. It is the way we find meaning in things. And uh, if we blindly follow economics as economics, we miss the big picture that we want an economy that serves human needs, not human beings that serve an economy. So the holistic approach, I think, is really uh, the essence. You talk about problem solving, and clearly problem solving requires the approach that you're describing, but also requires frameworks to think about how to approach these problems. And in your latest book, The Ages of Globalization, you build your thesis around three factors, geography, technology, institutions, and then you examine how these powerful forces interact to shape societies across time. Can you describe this dynamic as it's playing out right now in the 21st century? As a, an economist first trained in looking at budgets uh, and uh, exchange rates and interest rates, in other words, the field of macroeconomics, uh, I learned about a fairly narrow but important system uh, of how money and finance uh, influences the economy. But when I began to work on practical problems of finance, and this was uh, now 35 years ago uh, when I was invited to help stop a hyperinflation in the South American country of Bolivia, I 
learned the hard way uh, and also uh, the experiential way that I could not address macroeconomic problems without understanding the history, the culture, then I realized the geography. So it is a fact of problem solving uh, that uh, there is no one button or lever that solves most of the complicated problems that we're facing. This triad of the Earth's natural systems, or what I call geography, human uh, institutional arrangements, uh, culture, economy, uh, politics, uh, and the engineered systems that uh, are such a uh, remarkable driving force of change, what I uh, say are the technology systems, are the three sides of that triangle of interaction. And I use those three systems of systems, the natural, the engineered, and the institutional, to tell the story usefully. Today, we are, I believe, at a major transformative process that we see in front of us. And I don't mean the lockdowns and the crisis that we're all living through right now, though that is a drama that's changing a lot. We have at least four unprecedented environmental crises simultaneously, all with a common root of uh, the heavy burden that humanity places on the environment. But those four crises are climate change, the loss of biodiversity, mega pollution, and zoonotic emerging diseases like COVID-19. This is not the first one and it won't be the last one. They're coming at a increasing frequency with SARS and MERS uh, and Ebola and now COVID-19 and heaven knows when uh, the next one will be, but we ought to be uh, much better prepared than we were for this one. So you put all those pieces together, we're in a different era from 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. Our assumptions haven't changed, our politics hasn't caught up, but we're facing a new age right now and we have to get our heads around that so that we can keep the peace, be secure and solve the problems that are coming down on us very fast. Basically, what we're doing is not sustainable. And in 1987, the term sustainable development was coined. And you define it, or it was defined then, as the development that meets the needs of the present generation without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs, which I found simple and powerful. We are 35 years later. Have we made progress? I know there is a, and maybe you could talk a little bit about the sustainable development goals that were put in place in 2015 by the UN member states. Talk about that and why you think this is more optimistic effort and how it's going to be different than before. Sustainable development is a great concept. It uh, is a concept uh, to think holistically about problems. And the way we define it now, and by we, I mean the way that it's incorporated into the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, for example, uh, is that we want societies that are economically prosperous, socially inclusive, and environmentally sustainable. So we, we sometimes say it's the triple bottom line of economic, social, and environmental objectives. We have the know-how, the technology, the wealth, 
and all the good reason to aim for that triple bottom line, we can have prosperity everywhere in the world. We need and can achieve social inclusion or social justice or universal basic rights, like in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And of course, environmental sustainability, which is fundamental. We need to stop the human-made climate change. We need to stop the deforestation. We need to move away from single-use plastics and the other mega pollutants. So we need to uh, prevent future pandemics by smarter interactions uh, with the nature or reduced interactions with dangerous uh, points of nature. And so these are all things that we can do but it's not an easy agenda and it conflicts with the get rich only direction, which is really how a modern capitalist economy is organized right now. And so we've made an economic system that has become dangerous for us. And I suggest that we need an economic system built on the uh, ideas of sustainable development, on explicitly a triple bottom line. I also have found, and I am just now publishing a new study on this point, that pursuing that triple bottom line actually leads uh, to more happiness. Uh, so it's uh, not just that we need to do it because uh, we better take care, but it will make us feel better. Uh, we will get out of the addictions the anxieties, the unrest, the instabilities, if we're more fair, if we are more sustainable, if we're more balanced in the approach that we take socially. When we talk about the role of technology in all this, an economics view is that human impact of economic growth, as we've talked about, on ecological environment is extremely destructive unless offset by technological advances. You also point out that every technological change, like with the Industrial Revolution, has some positive and some negative effects. So you mentioned the digital age. Talk to us about that and how it's contributing positively and how it might be undermining fair and sustainable progress. All, all human progress is based on technological progress, N learning and knowing how to do things better. But I would also emphasize that not all technological progress makes for human progress, because when we learn how to do things better, sometimes what we do better are terrible things. So when there is uh, the steam engine, well, the next thing you know, there are better warships. This absolutely unanticipated downside, no one had any idea what a greenhouse gas was when James Watt developed the modern steam engine in the 1770s. So we should never think that technology by itself will solve problems. We should understand that technology gives us the potential to solve problems, but it has to be technology mobilized for the good. And with the digital age, we're facing exactly the same phenomenon. The digital age is giving us powerful new tools for many, many things, for what we're doing right now, for uh, digital communication, uh, for uh, telemedicine, uh, for uh, distance learning, for e-governance, uh, for electronic payments. These are all hugely beneficial for human beings. 
The digital advances are also giving us cyber warfare, fake news, new risks of space warfare, uh, disruptions of infrastructure, and all the costs that could come, huge costs uh, that could come uh, with digital technologies that are militarized. And we should understand what is digital for the good. Digital for the good would mean ensuring that there is universal access to digital services, including of poor people and hard to reach populations. Any application of technology requires moral boundaries and a moral framework, not just what is the bottom line. If we just go with the bottom line, I think it's so obvious for so many people, the relationship between what is good for the bottom line and what is good for society is so uneven, so tenuous. And that, that uh, remains the big challenge because in our country, it's almost a religion to follow the market. And we have to uh, get off of that bad habit. It seems like our problem is in our attitude. We've got the tools. We need to figure out how to move from an exploitative to a sustainable perspective from short term to long term, from tribal to collaborative and so on. And I find that in your writing, which is very heartening, you consistently appeal to human dignity, decency, virtue and compassion to guide this deep positive transformation we're talking about. But I wanna point out you're an economist and one of the most data-driven disciplines. Let's come back to this. Why the sentiment of morality? Morality means uh, nothing more in my view than trying to do things for our well-being. Uh, and what's the point of having a gross domestic product of $20 trillion if it makes us miserable or it destroys the economy or it drives us to conflict. So ethics and morality, in my view, is a kind of science. It's a kind of knowledge about how to promote good lives of people. And I hearken back to Aristotle, who wrote two pivotal books that transformed the Western world, and actually much more than the Western world. One was his ethics, or sometimes called the Nicomachean ethics, uh, named after his son Nicomachus. And the other is the politics, which was the first political science text ever written uh, in the Western world. And he wrote them as uh, side by side. Uh, these were not distinct disciplines that I'm going to do political science data driven. And it was, by the way, he had his students collect all the constitutions of the city states of uh, the Greek Republic so that he could uh, examine which of them was working better. It was absolute straight out modern political science that he invented. But he said this has to be for ethics because the opening of the politics is that human beings are a social animal. And uh, government or politics is the process of searching for the good, eudaimonia, of the people of the political community. And we just don't want to separate what we do with our lives and our economies and our policy from the basic question is, what's good for our lives? And that is ethics. You quote E.O. Wilson in the fantastic, and I quote, we exist with the bizarre combination of Stone Age emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. It seems we need to work on our emotions first and then tackle institutional reform. What do you think? 
E.O. Wilson is our great evolutionary biologist at Harvard University. He's a kind of guru for me. And I love that quotation also. It's brilliant. If you think about it, what he's saying is uh, we are human beings formed by evolution and we have certain traits uh, and propensities. Uh, we work well within our groups. Uh, we can be very aggressive to out groups in a, a very dangerous way. We have all sorts of uh, wonderful possibilities of altruism, but we have uh, possibilities for uh, being aggressive and, and harmful as well. So that's one part of us. The second is our institutions. Uh, the United States Constitution was an absolutely brilliant creation in 1789. Uh, it's needed uh, a lot of changes over time, and I think it continues to need some uh, important uh, changes, as brilliant as it was when it was uh, developed two centuries ago. Uh, then I think we should design our institutions so that they can help to promote that well-being in the face of this massive technological change ahead. And since I think that this is a phenomenon that the whole world is experiencing simultaneously, uh, this is a lousy time for us to fall into ancient habits of war and conflict. This is the time when we have to cooperate together at a global scale to address exactly the challenges that we've been talking about. Over the 40 years you've been practicing economics, you claim you have not tired of it. Uh, and it is clearly a very fascinating field and um, all the implications that the economics field has on other fields. But are you tired of the struggle that must seem at times insurmountable? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, although uh, when I was young, I thought uh, there would be a moment of victory. Uh, you know, that this uh, was a, a struggle for uh, the good or uh, uh, whatever one's aim and that it, that it would come. And the more you grow up, the more you learn, the more you learn about history, the more one realizes that this is life, actually, and this is history, that at any time in history, there have been potential opportunities for progress, but also strife, risks, war, and calamities uh, like the pandemic uh, that we're experiencing right now. Uh, one shouldn't uh, be so naive, and uh, I think it's part of growing up, uh, not to expect a, 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 that suddenly everything's good and you've made it. Uh, it's, it's just our job as human beings to uh, help to do better uh, to help to make the world better, uh, to uh, be able to uh, say to our kids and our grandchildren, uh, we've tried to do our best. Uh, and I think that that's really a, a very important part of this. Uh, that doesn't mean that I'm not very worried. I am uh, absolutely worried. I often hearken back to remarkable words of President John F. Kennedy in his inaugural address in 1961, when he defined the modern fate uh, in a more eloquent way than anybody that I know. He said, uh, for the world is very different now 
uh, for mankind holds in his mortal hands the ability to end all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. And uh, that is really <laughs> what um, keeps me going, which is that it's odd. We have uh, the means, the technology, the know-how really to end uh, extreme poverty. Uh, we have the means to make people happier, to help people to live better lives. Uh, and at the same time, we could be so uh, incredibly destructive uh, and thoughtlessly destructive and even to end uh, life on the planet. And so uh, we need to keep our heads uh, on straight and uh, keep working at this. My last question, our audience, our business leaders, decision makers, what is your call to action to them? Uh, we have had uh, now uh, more than 170,000 deaths in this country from a pandemic. It's opened up vast inequalities. It's made an economic crisis uh, worse uh, than at any time uh, since the Great Depression. Uh, it has divided us. We need in 2021 to start rebuilding uh, as one society. And uh, this is vital for America. But also, I should add, we need to cooperate as a society within the United States and as Americans with the rest of the world, because it's through cooperation that we're going to be able to build back, but build back much better and make the future that we really want for ourselves and especially for our children. Dr. Sachs, it's been a privilege. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of War podcast. And thanks to Jeffrey Sachs for highlighting the imperative of an economy that serves human needs and is environmentally sustainable. To learn more about location intelligence and solutions for sustainability, visit esri.com.